0: and Leadership, FTI's financial services podcast. FTI is a global advisory firm. We help organizations manage change, mitigate risk, and resolve disputes. I'm your host, Tilsia Toledo. I have over 25 years of experience in the financial services industry. This show is about the people I've met along the way and leading during uncertain times. You will hear from finance executives, law firm partners, dedicated government professionals, and many others. This month and next month, we're doing something special at Finance and Leadership. I am a member of Caliber Global Leadership Network. Caliber is a leadership development association dedicated to accelerating senior leadership readiness for mid to senior level managers and executives of African descent. During our summer conference, I had the opportunity to facilitate a fireside chat with Paul Linton, FTI Consulting's Chief Strategy and Transformation Officer. And I'm extremely grateful to Caliber for allowing us to use that recording. Paul is primarily responsible for supporting FTI segments as they develop and drive their near-term and medium-term agendas. Paul and his team also play key roles in driving change across FTI segments, including upgrading core, company-wide capabilities, and disciplines. There was so much great content that we decided to break up the episode into two parts. Here's part one. I am super excited to get a chance to do this fireside chat with Paul. I've been at FTI Consulting for almost seven years. And during that time, I've often had mm-hmm. conversations with you and such a council about career advice. So I'm thrilled that we get a chance to have this conversation today. Absolutely. And so I want to start with your current role right now. Yep how you got to where you are. Mm -hmm. And then I really want to spend a lot of time talking about the future Mm -hmm. and some of the things that all of us can benefit from in terms of, you know, thinking strategically about our career. Sounds good. So as the Chief Strategy and Transformation Officer at FTI, tell us a little bit about your current responsibilities and priorities.
1: So I have a small team, uh, about 12 people. And what we do is we help all those different businesses do whatever they need to do, grow by figuring out where are their opportunities to grow, People they need to hire, where are those opportunities in terms of the geography or a region. In some cases, we'll help with acquisition strategies, figuring out what other groups of people they can bring in to actually accelerate growth in Germany or in the Middle East or in Singapore or in Hong Kong. We also help our their corporate infrastructure, which would be our, our finance, our HR. Our IT organizations become more efficient so they can support the company as it has grown. When I joined the company in 2014, we were at about a billion eight in revenue. Right now, we're about three billion. So, over the last eight years, about a billion two in growth, which is pretty significant for a professional services firm. My team has been in the middle of a lot of that, which has been pretty exciting and, and the reason I came to FTI.
0: Great. And so as a member of the C-suite, and I know like at FTI, we normally refer to the C-suite as the executive committee, (EXCO). So as a member of the C-suite, though, I'm, I'm curious about what are some of the leadership principles that you follow that are part of your core in terms of how you operate?
1: So I think some of the principles that I use now are some of the principles I've used kind of throughout my career. One of the most significant ones is modeling the behavior that you expect from your team. And for me, that's a big one. So how that translates for me is if I have a junior, 22-year-old person on my team and they are trying to figure something out, I'm not the type of leader that will say, okay, here's what you need to do. We'll see you tomorrow at 7, at 7 a.m., more collaborative style. So if they're having trouble figuring out how to work through an Excel spreadsheet and one of the other people kind of between them and me is unavailable. I have no problem pulling up a chair next to them, jumping into Excel and let's talk about how you're gonna do this pivot table. How are you are gonna do this analysis? What parts of this are you having trouble with? And that's my expectation from the VPs below me, the directors below me, all the way down. If someone's having difficulty, it's not do a Google search and try to figure out how tables p- work. Let's pull up a chair, help them figure it out, and then enable them to be a strong contributing member of the team. And that goes with analysis or slides or sending the email to someone that's three levels above them or figuring out how to deliver a difficult message to someone that we're working with. Someone's asked us to do something that's going to be difficult for them to accomplish or for us to accomplish. You know, let's sit side by side and figure it out together as opposed to deliver this by 7 a.m. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble, which is, I don't think, a very empowering way to lead. I think one of the other principles is no surprises. So it's kind of an ongoing continual feedback. You don't wait until the semi-annual review or the end of the year review to say, 11 months ago when you're working on this project, you delivered things three times. I had to spend a lot of time fixing and they were late and that's a problem for you. Therefore, you're not getting a promotion this year. If I'm not gonna give you a promotion, you're gonna know about it three months, six months in advance. It's not gonna be a surprise. And the things that you need to do to get a promotion also are not going to be a surprise. You're going to know about them a year before, 18 months before, so you can work towards them. There should be, never be a feedback conversation or a promotion conversation or a compensation conversation where there's any surprise whatsoever. And I think that really helps the individuals on the team that I work with to feel like I'm in their corner helping them to get where they need to go. And also is one where I'm able to build trust with them because... They're not feeling like, oh, my God, what's going to happen at my semi-annual review or my annual review or my compensation conversation? It should, be, it should all be expected. The other one, I think, would be you know, creating opportunities to stretch my, the strongest performers. So I spend a lot of time just thinking about who on my team uh, is on a fast track for the next level. When a team is kind of doing, doing well, but probably needs a little bit more time. But the ones who are on a fast track trying to throw them into situations so that they get comfortable being uncomfortable. So that they're constantly thinking about, okay, I'm really good when it comes to kind of quantitative analysis and numbers, but not very comfortable talking about the implications or results of that to senior audiences, people who are you know 10 or 15 years more experienced than me. So then I'll say, okay, we're gonna put you on a case where someone else is going to do the numbers and your job is actually going to be to shape the slides, shape the presentation, deliver that to the CEO or the CFO, I'll still be there, but you're doing 70% of the presentation so that they actually stretch that muscle. Then you give them feedback and then throw them in a the situation again, you know, a couple of weeks later. So they have an opportunity to flex the muscle a little bit, hopefully develop the strength and then move forward. So I think those are probably three of the kind of leadership principles that I rely on the most in order to really push people forward. And I think with an FTI and BCG, which are very you know, significant people businesses, mm-hmm. um, those principles are important.
0: And so I want to pull the thread a little bit on the feedback, uh, one, because I also feel that sometimes we don't always get the feedback when we need it and Mm -hmm. how we need it. And so, I mean, in your role, you're the one who's, you know, providing the feedback and you're very vocal about it and there are no surprises, and I completely agree with that. And I know we've had many conversations about, like, let's make sure we have no surprises. And so what are the things that I know I tend to do is I also – let people know that I'm open to feedback. And so can you talk a little bit about, like what have you seen in in situations where people are not getting feedback? Because sometimes you're seeing people in other teams Mm -hmm. and they may not be getting the feedback that they need from their leaders. So what are some of the things that we should be doing to make sure that we're getting that information?
1: When I was about four years into BCG and at that time I was a project leader and I had this young woman, undergrad, super smart, graduated from Harvard, I think her second project She was on one of my teams, and she was nothing less than masterful at making sure she got feedback all the time. Like, she would just go grab a cup of coffee. Hey, Paul, you want to go grab a cup of coffee? And then, you know, you grab a cup of coffee. So how do you think that went yesterday, on that presentation, you know, where I was actually talking to the partner and kind of explaining my module and what I found? And she was always getting feedback in situations that you thought you were getting coffee or you thought you were grabbing lunch or you saw her by the copier or, you know, you're at the airport driving to the client. I mean, she's just always, I mean, little tidbits, a couple sentences here, a couple sentences there, to the point where you don't even, didn't even realize you are giving her feedback. But she's processing all of this. And she, she was like one of the fastest, highest performing people in her class. Oh, and she didn't do it with, just with me she did it with other project leaders she did it with her peers she did it with partners but she just made it easy to give feedback and she just like just asking questions and, and other questions that people would like be really scared to ask because they either didn't want to hear it or they weren't sure if the other person wanted to give them the feedback or they were just unsure about, about themselves but she just made it easy and she always processed it and then she fixed it so by the time she got to her review for a project the issues were fixed. I mean, she knew them, she worked on them, she, they were fixed, and you never even saw them in the review because she, she was getting the feedback much faster than anybody else. So I think one is kind of making sure the door is open. The other is proactively asking for it. And, and some people may, be, may not be capable of giving you direct feedback, so I think you're not going to get it from everybody. But if you make it easy for, for others, it gets easier over time. It can be a situation where you are getting kind of real-time feedback that can be pretty, pretty actionable that you can kind of work towards to improve, improve your performance.
0: And so as you think back into your career and I'm wondering if there are any specific inflection points or, or, stories that you can think about your past that actually has made you the successful professional that you are now.
1: Yeah. So I think one of the biggest ones was this is also in my prior job at the uh, bus consulting group. And I was at that point, a new manager, which is kind of the level right before partner. At BCG, once a year, you would have this career development committee meeting, and you, people come out of the meeting and basically tell you, are you on track? Are you off track? How many years to, to your next promotion? You didn't get promoted, you got fired. And you had so many years to get promoted in every role. But I was new in the role, so I was not too worried about it. By the year in, my kind of career development coach came out and said, hey, Paul, I just want to let you know we had a long conversation about you. You're, you're doing fine in the role. But at this point, you really don't have any support in the office amongst the partners to get to the next level there's no one who is in your corner. So that was an inflection point for me because I fundamentally did not understand the power network within the firm, number one. And number two, I understood, you know, what they tell you in training around how you get promoted, but there's a lot more that kind of goes on around conversations around who's with whom and whether you have support or not to get promoted. You know, I went and talked to a couple other people and this one guy's name is Reggie Gilliard, who was a partner in the LA office. So I called him up and said, like, Reggie, so what's the deal here? just, let me tell you what, you know, I just heard. And he's like, all right, let me go have some conversations and I'll come back to you. And he came back and he's like, yeah, you actually don't have any partner or senior partner who's saying that you are number one, number two, or number three on their list in the next three years to be promoted. Like, no one has you on their list. So if you're not on anyone's list, you're not going to get promoted. Like, okay, problem number one. Problem number two is there are certain people in the office who have more than three people on their list. And these are the people who are bringing in 15 or 20 million a year, and every year they're promoting two or three people. So they have more like six people on their list. You're not on their list either. So what you need to do is figure out how to get on one of their lists. And the way you do that is, you know, you have to do good work for one of them. And you can't do that a year before you get promoted because that's not going to be enough. You need to start now. So the question point for me was I was working with with this other partner who had transferred from France. And I said, okay. You know, I had a conversation with him. I said, look, I came out of CDC and, you know... I'm gonna go work for this other guy, Steve Gunby, who's actually my current boss, because he's starting this big project up in Canada, you know, and he's looking for a manager at my current level who's done consumer and retail work. You know, I'm not on his list, but he started our DC office and he, was, he brings in 20 to $30 million a year every year. So if he says, you're good, you are good. And I had not worked for him for a number of years, but I was like, okay, at this point, I'm not gonna get promoted to partner. So my risk to go work with someone else is actually zero because if I go work with Steve and I don't make it, I'm not gonna get promoted anyway. But at least I have a shot at becoming one of his top five or six. And so I did that and I busted my ass for the next two years and I ended up on his list. And he, at that point, I didn't know this at the time, there was a CEO change and he got promoted to head of North and South America. So he was running all of the Americas. When he said I was good, I was good. So understanding the power dynamic. So I, at that point, at least I knew he was powerful, in my office, but he became powerful across the firm. He was one of the six people, you know, leaving the entire company. So that helped in my favor. But the budget point was really taking that risk to say, look, at this point, I'm not getting promoted. Let me take the bigger risk. Work for someone who is tough and demanding. And let me see if I can get on his list.
0: And what I love about that story is that it ties together the feedback point in terms of like being able to hear, Mm -hmm. where do I stand right now? Hearing that and then being intentional Mm -hmm. about what your next steps are. And so what I want to talk about is we all know that critical decisions about our career are being made when we're not in the room. Mm -hmm. And so how can we be more intentional about making sure that we're set up for success when those conversations are happening?
1: Yeah, I'm an electrical engineer by training. And my first job out of undergrad was working for a company called Motorola Semiconductor in Austin, Texas. And my first boss, the first things he told me when I joined was, so your job is to make your boss successful. And those words have lived with me for the last you know, 25 years. Your job is to make my job successful. And then he went on to explain what that meant. But for him, that means you, know, you don't think about your roles and responsibilities, but a strong team member is also thinking about their boss's job and all the things he or she has to get done. And if you're thinking about that as well and you are helping them to be successful, you create trust, you create loyalty, you create sponsorship. And when someone goes to ask them, should Paul get promoted? Or, Joe, you're going to be promoted to the next level. Do Do you want Paul to come with you? It's absolutely. It's like, I need that guy on my team because he is part of the reason I've been successful. And he is part of the reason I can continue to be successful. So he will or she will become an outspoken proponent of you in that room where the decisions are made as to whether you get to the next level, whether you get the next opportunity whether you get that compensation bump, et cetera. So I think that's been one of the key things for me, you know, figure out how to make my boss, but also my peers successful. And then you create a set of people around you that are talking positively about you. I mean, my current job it's you know, to the board of directors or to the CEO or to other members of the executive committee. And then that helps me to continue to be successful in my role and expand my role and expand activities or tasks or projects that are given to me, which gives me outsized opportunities to be successful and extend that.
0: No, that's great. And so let's talk a little bit more about like moving forward, right? Mm-hmm. We're in these very dynamic times. Yeah. I was listening to the news this morning about the economic outlook and it's changing, and shifting. So what should we as professionals be thinking about? I've never played hockey a day in my life, but I do know the analogy like you want to go where the puck is going, you know, skate towards that. So what should we be thinking as professionals?
1: There's a lot there. One of the things we've we've talked about, I mean, is this idea of the ways of working are changing as we emerge from COVID. And this is something that our executive committee talks about quite a bit. And I think there are some terrific opportunities, but there are also, I think, some real, real risks as we think about how we're going to work. Post-COVID. So on the opportunity side, before COVID, I went into the office five days a week. I mean, I was in either my office or I was in somebody else's office. Now, it's more like, you know, two days some on average. You know, some weeks zero, some weeks four. So significantly less, and my peers have done, done the same. I'm always kind of really, really consciously and intentionally thinking about when I need to go in, and not just because someone said, Paul, you need to be in. When do I need to be in the office because there is an interaction that should be done face-to-face. So on the opportunity side, is the work-life balance. On the risk side, it's kind of thinking about think a number of things. I mean, you want to understand if you're an individual who is in a new role or in the same company or in a new company, and people don't know you yet, and you really haven't established credibility. Is that credibility easier to build and trust if you're face-to-face, or can you really do that via Teams? Or if you're someone who's looking for, you know, an opportunity that might not come to you if you're not in the office, you know, if a company where people walk up to someone and say, hey, you know, I've got this problem. Can you help me solve it? Are you going to be the person who gets the call in Teams or not? And if you're not, should you be in the office so that they're not going hey, Paul, you know, I was thinking about this problem I have. Could you help me with that? That which gives you an advantage versus the person who's sitting at home waiting for the Teams call. If you're in a, a company where, There's opportunity to kind of get pulled into meetings or there's water cooler conversations that help you to understand what's going on in the company or what's going on with leadership or what's going on in the power dynamic or what's going on in terms of opportunities to advance. How do you get that information if you're on Teams or you're on Zoom versus being in the office? I think... As kind of mid-career professionals, you have to be thinking about all of those things. And then you have to be really intentional about saying, I don't have to be, but you know, I better go to the office because it'll create the opportunity for me to have these interactions that are unplanned versus the planned interactions that you have on teams. So I think that is something that people should be wrestling with quite a bit. I think no matter you know, how work is being done or how people are working virtually, I don't know that the performance and promotion evaluation systems have caught up to the virtual working yet. So when people start thinking about your performance and whether you're ready for the next level, are the right questions in the form or are the right criteria being considered to evaluate you when you're working virtually in the way that they evaluate you when you're working in the office and make sure that all the information is there to get you to the next level there i mean literally on our forums there are questions there or evaluation criteria that have to do with things that can only happen face to face and if there's no information it's kind of hard to do the evaluation and hard for you to excel exceed expectations so you have to think about that as well and make sure that you're giving people the information they need so that they can be in your corner when you're seeking that next promotion that next expansion of your purview or compensation increase at the end of the year so i think you have to think about that as well so I think there's a lot there, and I think more, more questions than answers. There are certainly some things to think about as you're kind of figuring out how to make virtual work,
0: not just for your life, but also for your career. And the other part of that is also that sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And yeah. at our firm, we have so many different initiatives yeah. that I get pulled into things just because I happen to be in the office or mm-hmm. I happen to have a conversation with somebody. And then I hear that there's an initiative and I'm like, wait a minute, I want to be a part of that. Oh, okay, Tulsi, we'll put you on. And so sometimes you don't know what you don't know when you don't have those interactions. Yeah,
1: And I think particularly for, I mean, maybe people in this room, but certainly people who are younger than us, there'll be a little bit of, wow, I, you don't find out until it's too late. You'll see, wow, how did how did Mary get promoted so fast? Or how did Mary end up in that other role? Like, oh, well, Mary she was coming to the office three days a week and then If she heard about this new project and Bob put her on this new project, she did really well. And then, you know, from that, she was actually able to get the promotion. Well, that's rear view mirror. And then you're sitting there saying, wow, that could have been me had I done those things. But now I've lost a year or lost a year and a half because I didn't spend the time in the office. I mean, all companies are operating differently. And I think all companies are trying to figure this out. But I think leaning forward a little bit and being proactive to think about your answers to some of those questions and some of those issues is important to do, and then be intentional about figuring out your balance between the the virtual and, and the office.
0: And with that, we will bring the first part of my conversation with Paul Linton, Chief of Strategy and Transformation at FTI Consulting, to a close. Please join me next month, where we continue the conversation, and we cover items such as books that he recommends, passions outside of work, and some additional career advice. Thank you. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email finance and leadership at fticonsulting.com.